I've left my charger at the hostel and I've had not had Wi-Fi for the day. I think that this can be applied to any service that you offer. I have a 0.02% success rate with pitching clients for writing opportunities. Like sitting in a cubicle in another part of the world all day and missing out on life is not success as a digital nomad. I just can't wait to put on my backpack and walk out the door of an empty apartment. That's my approach. That's what I think will happen. Hey there, real quick. If you enjoyed the show, please support by following on your favorite podcast station, review and share it with your peers to help them and me out because I don't run any ads and every share helps. Thanks and let's jump into it. Hey Kyla, welcome to the Nomadpreneur Show. Hey Gabe, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show today. And can you tell us about the location you're calling from? Yeah, I am currently in the Netherlands. I'm in Groningen, but my apartment here is about half empty. I'm about to move out and travel indefinitely again. So you're catching me at a funny point in life. I'm surrounded by boxes and people are coming constantly to <laughs> take things. I'm selling things and giving them away on Facebook. So really deep in the preparation phase of travel. That's awesome. And I think you're at the perfect stage to have this interview because this raw environment and preparing to start something new, it's what the podcast is all about and can't wait to hear more. But please tell me, how did you end up in Amsterdam? Yeah, that can all go back to 2017, whenever I was working actually in a really nice job in Chicago. I'm from the US and I had a really nice apartment. I had a really, I was enjoying life, but I just felt like I really wanted to travel and I just didn't know when it was going to happen. I was having a meeting with my manager and they were saying, talking about my 10 year path with the company. And I thought, gosh, if I'm here in 10 years, like I will not be very happy with myself. So I found the digital nomad scene online and I started asking people questions, commenting on Instagram posts, asking people, how do you pay for things in Facebook groups? I just became really like a sponge for this lifestyle. I got so excited that people were actually doing what I wanted to do and doing it long-term. And I don't know. So I just became obsessed with this idea of traveling full-time and I moved out of my apartment and went to Mexico and I traveled south for six months. And then I ended up moving to the Netherlands with my partner who I met on that trip. And we've been using the Netherlands as our home base for five years now as we travel and visit my family and travel around Europe. So we've had a home base and have done house sitting and long-term, you know, staying with family and trips around Europe. And now I just got citizenship here. So to celebrate, we're moving out and traveling full time for maybe, I don't know, it's very open ended. We have kind of penciled in plans for the next two years. Wow. Having a plan in place for two years seems huge. <laughs> it's very rough. It's like Central America for six months, South America for six months. Asia next and we don't really have a strong plan there. We've never, neither one of us have ever been to Asia. So we have like a big list. It's super, super open-ended and it will definitely change. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. And definitely being open and not putting everything in place with exact dates. It's the best way to approach this lifestyle. And 
how was your transition from US to Europe? Since I know it's the places are quite different and why you choose Amsterdam, especially in Netherlands? Yeah, the transition was a lot more difficult than I expected. I had never been to Europe and in the US, you're just not. The cultural exposure is a lot less. So even living in a diverse place like Chicago has so many people from different walks of life. I was not prepared for how different it would be. And all the different cultures and Europeans are so proud of their culture. Like I remember going to the bar once and there were people, there were these girls from like Finland and Germany and wherever. And they were saying like, our bread is the best. And they were like, our bread is the best. I felt like, whose bread is different? Like, who has different bread? <laughs> and it's funny, all these little changes. Europe is so, I mean, it's broad to talk about Europe as a whole, but there's so much. Like, I don't think you could ever see everything or get to know a culture fully. It's just so deep and colorful. So that transition was really intense. And I didn't choose the Netherlands either because my husband is from here and his dad was really sick. So we came here very quickly to, we thought maybe we were planning for the worst. He was on cancer treatments and he made a full recovery, which was miraculous. And then we ended up here for five years, which was kind of a funny, I never expected that to happen whenever I initially came here. That's the thing about life. Unexpected events can happen and simply change the course of everything. And that's what I love about your guys' plan, that you don't have anything like laid down perfectly and you're open to change because you never know. You may end up in a place you love it so much and you end up staying there for years, which can happen. That's exactly uh, what we've said. We're going to Costa Rica in August. And if we love it, we could just stay and live there and get an apartment. And it feels really like healthy or something. After planning for so long, planning out visas and my immigration process here was really tedious. There were so many steps. And now it feels so good to say, like, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm on no timeline. And oh, I can't tell you how good it feels. <laughs> yeah, I can bet. And small warning with Costa Rica, you might actually end up there for a long time yeah. because that country is simply amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You've been there uh, a couple times, right? Uh, no, just once, but I spent three months there and I enjoy every bit of it. And current is my top three destinations. So you'll definitely find it really simple. It's beautiful. It has everything. And when it comes to planning all these things, because every destination is different, every aspect that you have to take into consideration from Wi-Fi to accommodation to such. I kind of watch your full videos on TikTok and such, and I, you seem a really well-organized person. How much time you spend on planning? Oh, well, planning in a sense. So like planning work, I plan way in advance because I've made so many mistakes. I started freelancing like 10 years ago and I started my digital nomad experience was in Mexico and then going all the way south to Panama, passing through most of Central America. And the infrastructure there is not always reliable. Like internet, I have been burned by every bad decision. I've left my charger at the hostel and I've had not had Wi-Fi for the day and missed deadlines with clients. Well, 
Everything is has been okay, but it was so stressful. So now I plan a lot before I leave. Like we're going to travel around pretty quickly in May. We're going to go from the Netherlands. We're just doing a big loop around down to Montenegro through Germany and then back up. And since we'll be moving quickly, like maybe spending two nights or maximum 10 days in one spot, I'm planning my work now. So it's March. I'm planning my work months and ahead, batching things, scheduling, getting things done. And the travel, I plan a lot more last minute. So we pick destinations that we're excited about, but I don't know everything I want to do in the Bay of Couture, Montenegro, but I'm super excited about the B&B that we found. I know we'll have a good time. So to me, once the work is handled... I can just enjoy like be in the moment so much more and not be worried about if something didn't go through or if a client is needing something from me. Yeah, I'm very proactive with my work and a lot less so about the traveling. I love that way of prioritizing things. And if you can go a bit deeper into the work aspect of things, because as we all know, not every type of work can be scheduling advance, done in advance. Can you expand a bit on that of what you do and how others can have the same approach with their work? Yeah. So I think the first step to being prepared really starts with telling, if you work with clients, telling your clients that you're planning the next two or three months. Because if you're thinking ahead, it actually, I think clients generally like it. I know some travelers don't tell their clients that they're traveling because they're afraid of whatever the client might think about it or whatever, but I'm very upfront and I tell people I have some travel plans and it won't affect you, your work deliverables, except that you're going to get things early. And people like that. It makes clients feel you're super organized and they're taken care of first. They're prioritized. So I start by telling clients as early as I can, I'm going to be traveling a lot in May. So you're going to get everything early from me. And then they also put their ducks in a row. Oh, you need this from me. I'll get it to you next week because they don't know that you're working ahead unless you tell them. So I think it starts with letting whoever you're working with know what you need to get ahead of schedule and then just making a big list for every time I want to take some time off to really travel to not be working Monday to Friday. I make a huge list, probably two months, sometimes three months in advance, everything that needs done. And every time I think of something, even if it's small, like, oh, I need to email them to remind them to send me something, then I put it on the list and I look at how I can possibly do things ahead of time. It used to go wrong all the time. And now it goes right like 98% of the time. And usually that's the thing you learn from your past mistakes and you start to put things into place to not repeat them. And the way you do things, it's, it's blown my mind because I've been working online for so long and I'm still not close at your level when it comes to organizing things and planning in advance and such. So... If you don't mind, I want you to go even deeper into this topic, since I feel prioritizing and organizing things is such a big topic. And you mentioned spreadsheet, you mentioned to-do lists and such. Do you use any particular tools to keep everything together or you use the old school Google Sheets or Microsoft Excel? I use Google for everything. And I know a lot of people use Trello and Notion. And I have accounts on those platforms. But whenever it comes to working with clients, I just find that 
Google, everyone speaks Google's language because some of my clients, they won't look at it if I send it in a different software. So I just stick to like the bare minimum and I track everything in a spreadsheet. From, so every client has a spreadsheet and it has all different tabs at the bottom. So to me, it's all about minimizing how many files you need to update and making sure there's only one copy of everything, not two copies, the client's copy and yours. So I make a folder in Google Drive for each client and everything goes there. So links for any of the graphics I made them. I make a lot of clients graphics in Canva. So in Google is a sheet with all of the links to all the Canva files. And in the spreadsheet is a list of everything that I'm doing for them and when and where did it get published and when. And it's all, everything is tracked there. And I also think on top of keeping me really organized, clients always comment on how much they like my system. So I think that it also adds more value to them because instead of saying, Kayla is doing Pinterest three times a week, they can look and search today's Wednesday, they can search the date and see exactly what I published for them. They can see the file that I published, they can see the keywords, the board, everything. So, and not to go too deep into my services specifically, because I think that this can be applied to any service that you offer. Yes, definitely. And having this approach to not use a bunch of tools, a bunch of moving pieces to organize your work can be really helpful. And especially if you use tools that your customers are already used to. And speaking of customers, how many customers do you manage at the same time to be able to achieve this batching in advance to be able to actually enjoy your travels? Yeah, that's a great question. It's kind of funny for me to answer. So I'll just explain my work a little bit more. So I am a freelance writer. So that's part of my business, but I'm also a Pinterest manager. So I have a blog. So this whole freelance journey really started for me. It started to become more of a business model and less of a side hustle in 2020. I had a blog already. I'd been using Pinterest for my own blog to drive traffic. And then people just started asking me questions about Pinterest because my Pinterest account was reaching a couple million people a month and people wanted to know how I did that. And then one day a woman just asked me, can you run my Pinterest account for me on Facebook Messenger? She sent me that message and I thought about it and I thought, yeah, I guess I could. I didn't even know what it meant to be a Pinterest manager. I just didn't have any income at the moment because of the pandemic. And I said yes. And so I still manage Pinterest accounts for clients, but my main focus has really been on the freelance writing side. So I've been writing for GoDaddy and just started writing for HubSpot and taking on bigger roles like that. And then I'm also writing a book on the side. So if you count the book as a client, <laughs> then I have, I think, eight clients right now, which is kind of the limit for me. I can't, no, nine, it's kind of hard for me to say, but <laughs> I can't do more than 10. I used to have 10 clients and just sending emails every Sunday. I check in with all my clients on Sundays because I like people to know that I'm always thinking ahead. And that's just something I do. A lot of freelancers think that's like madness to email people every week, everyone. Even just sending the weekly check-ins started taking me like three hours. Like this is just an update. This is where things are at. Here's things you should know. Those emails take a little bit of time to write. So that's definitely the ceiling for me with this type of work. I'm not someone who wants like loads of clients. I look at if I need, if I want to scale my income, then I look at how do I expand one client, not how do I take on more. That's a great approach. And there is actually a statistic that shows that at every given time, 
one person can take up to 12 clients in the digital services space. Yeah, managing to do that and to actually schedule in advance everything and it simply blew my mind. And having that freedom and flexibility to be able to enjoy actual travels in the same time while running your business, it's amazing. And speaking of this, since you're freelancing for more than 10 years and being able to jungle all these things, can you please share with us any misconception that you saw in the space of freelancing? Oh gosh, there's so many. <laughs> I would say that everything about freelancing, it can always go either way. People will say freelancing is so easy because you can do anything that you want. And that's true, but it's also so hard because there's no limit. It's hard to decide if you can literally freelance anything. Like there are people who get paid to talk to people on the internet, you know, like the hire a friend, a virtual friend. Those people exist that the fact that it's so unlimited is really hard. And I think it's easy to be really lost, like wandering around, wondering, do I even like freelancing? Because I thought I didn't like freelancing. I started freelancing whenever I was 20, and I did it more full-time in starting in 2017. So I was 24 then. And then I've pretty much done it on and off full-time or part-time since then. Now it's been full-time for the past three years. But yeah, I think it's quite directionless if you feel like you, if you don't know what you want to offer and you're figuring it out. I think it's really important to have community. I would say that to see yourself as this like free agents, like you just you working alone. It's so nice to not have a boss or a team. Man, you need those people though. You need people who get it. You like people need to listen to your show and you know connect with other freelancers on LinkedIn. That's how we connected. You need that. It's not so like wild west. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that part, the community part of of freelancer of digital nomads, whatever the name it is, even as a full time employee. There you have the community of your coworkers and being around people, it's not only fulfilling, but healthy, especially on the mental side of things. We can all draw back to the pandemic when we're isolated and the depression cases skyrocket because of that. And having that accountability bodies or simply people to share your wins or your losses with them, it's so, so important, especially when you work alone. And... Apart from LinkedIn and Pinterest, how do you engage with other freelancers online or face-to-face? -face? How do you find them? I wish I had face-to-face -face freelancing friends, but I have never really found anyone local to where I live, and I don't speak the local language fluently. So just to add, most people could probably find someone, <laughs> but I didn't find anyone here where I live. And Online has been the best way. I found a lot of friends through Facebook and a lot of my clients have become good friends. I talk to people weekly who we work together in some capacity and we don't work together anymore, but we still talk all the time about this business and this lifestyle. I would say Facebook groups are a really nice place. And LinkedIn. LinkedIn has got to be the best, in my opinion. It's so easy to find people. People are so supportive. Yeah, that old school corporate platform becomes something much more meaningful and real connection happens. 
And I can draw the most of this podcast success to LinkedIn because there I met most of my guests like you. And it's such an amazing platform to build connections. And for sure, moving forward and starting to travel, you'll find digital nomad communities and you'll be able to meet face-to-face connections. And that will be even better, you'll see. And uh, speaking of that, what's the most exciting part when it comes to start embracing this digital nomad lifestyle? The thing I'm most excited about right now is just being fully in it and not doing trips and then coming back home because I always wanted to keep traveling. I was very restricted with my visa. I could only be out of the Netherlands a certain number of days per year. And I might have just kept traveling full time if it hadn't been for my father-in-law getting sick and us coming here. We might have very well just kept traveling. So having a home base was a situation that I was not, that that we had to do for the time. And now just to have it be open-ended. And that's what the lifestyle is about. I think it's hard to have all this freedom at your fingertips and then to not like exercise. That's why the pandemic was so hard. So to just finally exercise that freedom, like to its fullest, I just can't wait to put on my backpack and walk out the door of an empty apartment. I am dreaming of that moment. It's almost one month. It's one month and one day until we leave. That's awesome. And especially that you count down the days until that moment. And yeah, I can't wait to hear impression after you start doing it. And maybe we can make another episode after that to be a follow up after a few months. Going back to the work part, since you mentioned that you want to focus more on the blogging and writing part of things and you're writing a book right now. And how much this influence your decision of traveling? Because I know that you're blog is kind of related. And what would be the biggest benefits that you intersect with work and travel? I am excited about focusing on writing more because the work I do for clients for Pinterest management is it's all invisible. Like it's not building my brand. And I do, I publish so many pins on Pinterest every month for clients, but no one will ever know that's me. And it can never work for me long term. Whereas I wrote, I write articles for GoDaddy and those are going to be read and viewed and they have my name on them and they bring people back to my website for years. So to me, it's just about making an investment that's going to work longer for me. And if you look at the style of work, the Pinterest management, which I really enjoy, but that's more of a job where I just like put it in and get my money and, you know, and then once it's over, but every article lives forever and is going to keep working for me. So I'm kind of focusing on the big picture. After five years of doing this, five years of articles being published with my name on them is going to do so much more for my business and then five years of invisible work behind the scenes for other brands. So I'm just balancing that right now because I do like having two different types of work. One work is the writing is very like focused work, but the Pinterest is a lot more creative. I'm making graphics. So I like having the mix and I like that the Pinterest work is schedulable. I can batch that for months if I want and schedule a lot of it in advance. So it's more hands-off, but I do get less as like a business owner. I get less back from that. Yeah, I definitely can relate. And having this mix can be really healthy in case of, I don't know, one source goes off, you still have the other one. And you mentioned quite 
some big names there in terms of clients. And I know that getting clients is one of the biggest challenge when it comes to freelancing. How do you land those type of clients? Oh, I am... It's so, it takes a lot of time. I should say I'm really bad at pitching. So I have a 0.02% success rate with pitching clients for writing opportunities. And everyone says, just keep getting better at pitching. So you see that advice a lot. And I tried and I couldn't, like nothing was improving. And I took, had to take a different approach. I thought if I can't successfully pitch GoDaddy, then how else am I going to get into GoDaddy? And I started looking for other doors into publications. So I got into GoDaddy and HubSpot. I just, I'm only just beginning with them on a trial basis as a freelance writer. I got I was introduced for those roles. So I met people who worked there and they introduced me. And I think it's a good approach if you're struggling to find clients. Because to me, I was like really dis, like I was discouraged. Nobody, none of my pitches were ever accepted. And then once I work with people, they leave really nice recommendations on LinkedIn. I know people are happy. I know the quality of my work is fine. I just can't get in through the front door with pitching. So I started looking for other doors in. Love that approach since you literally leverage the power of networking, the power of being open to opportunities. And instead of sending, I don't know, hundreds of cold emails or messages that never get answered or when they done that they're just random, you cannot literally measure that. But building meaningful connection with others, doesn't matter the environment or how you connect with them, but simply knowing someone that knows someone that know what you do and they know you're good at, they can literally open the doors for you in unexpected ways. And same happened to me when I started my freelancing business as a web designer. A friend of mine worked for a SEO agency that were looking to outsource their web design services. And I got introduced to them and the rest is history. And this type of partnerships or being open to opportunities are huge when it comes to getting clients. And apart from that, I'm pretty sure that all this content that you put out there will drive traffic to your website and get the leads organically, which is another great source. And speaking of that, speaking of blogging, what are your plans with monetizing that part? Since I know blogging, it's quite a popular topic for probably more than 15 years. Do you still, there is opportunity there for those that are just starting out or how do you see the future of blogging? I think blogging is going to become more and more relevant as time moves on. I'm an optimist, but I love blogging as well. And my blog brings in a lot of passive or active income. I'll say everybody wants to talk about passive income and blogging, and it's a great topic, but you can also use your blog as a funnel for active income. And for me specifically, that's my Pinterest services. So I pitch and fail to pitch for the writing side of my business. But for the Pinterest side, clients come to me. I turn people down because my workload is full. Clients come in through my blog because I've written articles about Pinterest. And then they see that I offer Pinterest services. And then they put in a contact form that they are interested. That's how I get the majority of my services of my clients on the Pinterest side. And some people would say that blogging for money is only you know, it's only sexy when it's passive income, but it's amazing as a service provider to wake up to inquiries that already see your value and want to work with you. 
that value can't be understated. It's incredible. Yeah, definitely. And to expand a bit on it, since a lot of changes are happening in the online world with all the AI and generative content and such, how do you think that will influence search in general when we are moving to a zero-click era? I think it will change, but I think that it's going to make good bloggers much more valuable. Because I've played around with AI. I tried for one article. I thought, let me see one article. It was an article on how to go viral on Pinterest. And I thought, let me try to use AI to write this. And the article was so bad. There was nothing of value in it. And the advice that it pulled, because it's just scraping what's already out there, the advice was years old, if it made sense at all. So I know that some fields are having more success with AI generating blog content, but I know that for my field, I'm not scared at all. Um, it can't provide the screenshots and the value and the depth that I can. And I think it's going to make it a little bit more black and white, like, oh, this was so thin. I think Google refers to it as thin content. I think thin content is going to be even easier to spot now. It's going to be a bunch of whatever nonsense, a stock image and an affiliate link. Or not nonsense, but, you know, very light on the value that it's giving. That's my, as an optimist, that's my approach. That's what I think will happen. Now, if you just write fluff and you don't actually provide something meaningful, probably the visitor will bounce your website. And I want to talk more about how social media platforms like Pinterest and LinkedIn influence your freelancing journey. Since there are a lot of misconceptions around how healthy they are in the terms of providing value to us rather than make us addictive to them and filling us with dopamine. So how what was the positive role of those platforms in your freelancing? LinkedIn, I don't see a downside to LinkedIn. And I see a downside to a lot of other platforms. But and yeah, there's some fluff on LinkedIn. Of course, there is. There's some people who copy and paste posts written by other people and publish them. And people who lie and act like they're really successful whenever they are just making up achievements. <laughs> but I think LinkedIn is the most helpful place for a freelancer to spend their time. And last year, I think it was last, yeah, last summer, I went on a complete social media. I just needed I just couldn't be on social media anymore. I felt really overwhelmed by it. So I deleted everything from my phone and I logged out on my computer except for LinkedIn. And I started going on LinkedIn every day and instead of feeling the dope like the dopamine hit and crash of all the short form videos and the attention, you know, the flash and the flare of like TikTok or any of the short form video content that like is so designed to keep you engaged for nine seconds and then <laughs> drops off. LinkedIn made me feel encouraged. I met real friends. I learned. Like, I can't say good enough good things about LinkedIn, but I think that you do have to check in with yourself constantly around. Is scrolling on Instagram for an, at 30 minutes, do I feel good afterwards? And what did I get out of that? And I think that you have to have those conversations with yourself if you spend time on social media, especially if it's supposed to be productive. Like, are you trying to network your business? You should, you know, you should be really honest about what you're getting out of that time. Definitely, because unfortunately, they invest millions into making us addicted to the perspective platform. Doesn't matter if it's TikTok or Instagram or whatever. And unfortunately, they are really good at it. And of course, there are a lot of 
good things about those platforms. But yeah, definitely agree with you. Since I found LinkedIn, I found it so different. Even that, of course, they want the same thing to spend as much time as you as they need you to spend on the platform, engaging, commenting. But in a nutshell, it's not as bad as the other platform, at least yet. We'll see what the future brings. And Kayla, since our audience love actionable advice, and you clearly have a wealth of experience into the freelancing world, I want to challenge you to create a step-by-step framework that freelancers can follow and significantly improve their lives, both as a professional and personally, since we already discussed this topic of social media, freelancing, planning, and now traveling. Maybe you can make a mix of all of them and create a quick, short framework around that. Yeah, I would say something that will impact every aspect of what you do is your discipline in your organization. So if you sit down, ask yourself, okay, what do I plan on doing today? And then sit down and see if you do it. And if you don't do it, reflect. Why not? Why? I told myself I was going to finish that thing and send it to a client, but then I didn't. Why? Why didn't you do it? And if the answer is it didn't need done today, then you should be evaluating why was it on my to-do list? What did need done today? And having a constant feedback loop and really trying to improve your self-discipline because that will make you a better worker. It'll make you more efficient. It'll save you money because whenever you're inefficient, you do it. You just bleed time and you waste. I just feel like it's such a waste, especially if you're combining work with travel. Like I know I can look back at times where I was really disorganized and spent too much time doing a task and procrastinated and it took twice as long as it should have. And I will never be back to the, I might never be back to the places I was. Like I can remember working on this deadline in, I think it was PSAC, Peru, which is like a beautiful part of Peru. It's, and I didn't do a single thing there except work. And then I left and I didn't see there's like a lake that people travel all the way just to see this lake. Didn't see it because I was working didn't go on hikes because I was working and I didn't need to spend that much time working. I was really inefficient and undisciplined and sloppy. And I might've delivered everything to clients on time. So I told myself I succeeded, but I didn't succeed. Honestly, if you look at like the opportunity that I had and you don't like sitting in a cubicle in another part of the world all day and missing out on life is not success as a digital nomad. That's my philosophy anyway. I definitely agree with you. And I was in the situation so many times. For example, my first trip to Bali, I was at the beginning of my digital nomadism. And I spent uh, here where I'm also recording from right now. I spent almost nine months. But in those nine months, I haven't seen much. Of course, I went to some popular places and do some trips. But I didn't experience the island and the culture as deep as I wanted to. And it's one of the reasons why I'm back, because I'm way better than four years ago. And having this on top of your mind, it's a great reminder that no matter the thing that you do, a nine-to-five job, freelancing, running your own business, you have to be disciplined in order to enjoy both your work outcome and life. And going on this topic a bit deeper, once you learn all these things from your mistakes and experience, How do you manage to stay disciplined? How do you manage to remind yourself daily that if I do this, I'll be able to do that and that? 
since, of course, just talking to yourself might not be enough. One of my philosophies is how I approach this is how I approach everything. Like how I approach my work today is how I will approach traveling tomorrow. And you know, sometimes you're just like in a funk and you think, I don't want to work today. You lay in bed and watch Netflix or, you know, whatever. And then you don't go out and you just are relaxing or, you know, recovering from being tired. You know, it doesn't, like, you don't always have to be going constantly, but I think it's really good to just, I don't know, don't compartmentalize where you say like, I'm going to work really hard or I'm going to go out and have fun and travel and, you know, go away from my computer and then I'll come back and be a really good like worker and freelancer because I think you're probably going to be thinking about your work when you're out on a hike and I think you're going to have some anxiety about the work that you didn't do and then whenever you come back to your computer you're going to have that FOMO like oh my friends are out without me to me everything blurs together whenever you combine work and travel and if you freelance and even you just work from home like it's all together. Like how you handle every task. It's, you know what I mean? There's no boundaries there. So I think that just for me, what makes a big difference is just being really every day. I think like, what am I doing with my time? Am I spending this wisely? And how do I want tomorrow to go or next week? And a lot of times I, like, I'm not always disciplined. They, I was trying to get ahead of work for a client last week and I didn't get it done. And then I am probably not going to do it this week. So instead of being ahead of schedule, I'll do it next week. And then I'll be on schedule again. But other things took priority and I'm okay with it because I asked myself, why didn't I do that task? And I thought I just would rather, my energy feels better spent in other ways today and this week. And I'm okay with that because the answer is not, I'm putting it off until the very last second because I know I'll still be ahead of schedule. I think like becoming really, like really addicted to being ahead of schedule is a huge asset to you, to anyone, you know? It took me a long time. I was with a person, if it was due at midnight, I would send it to you at 11.55. I would wait until the last minute to submit everything. And I know the quality of my work suffered as well. Like I I know it did. It had to. And clients also just feel so valued whenever you submit something ahead of schedule. So I had to learn to love the whole process and outcome. And I'm not done learning. I know I will ha- like I'll be working on being disciplined every day until I'm retired. <laughs> it will never be done. I love that the transparency that you didn't show yourself as a perfect example of productivity and you have these ups and downs, which is normal and life is like that. But here I think you have the advantage of the lifestyle that you're living, the flexibility of self-employed that you know that if this day you don't feel like for various reasons, even with all the discipline in a row, you cannot make it happen. But since you schedule in advance, you're able to still deliver on time, but do the work another week or another day, depending on your uh, deadline. And uh, speaking of this, of being human and being open to things, I'd like to ask you if in any of your travels so far, did you experience something particularly inspiring or enlightening in a culture that, or in a place that you didn't expect that particular thing to happen? It's so hard. There have been so many memories, so many experiences, but I would say that I can really remember moments traveling where I saw a culture where you could see the joy in the, in people. Like in like Central America, a lot of people like spend time outside. 
they like, it's kind of like an outdoors culture. People like sit outdoors and gather and talk and people are just like laughing and talking and there's music playing and sometimes people dancing, you know, but people are just enjoying themselves. And I have, was before I was a digital nomad in 2017, I was working in Chicago and I was working downtown. It was very like hustle oriented to me. Like that's what I saw in life. Like I would wake up at five and go to work early and the bus would be full of people also going to work early. And the subway was jam-packed and everyone's going to work, you know, on their phone, reading their emails. I feel like you saw hard work on display a lot. And American culture also really values hard work. It's like an important thing in American culture to work really hard. And I don't think that there's not nearly the importance on just enjoying your downtime or joy in general is valued so much more in other cultures. And I've seen it here in the Netherlands, like people really, you can see it in the kids, like kids running around having fun and the way people just conduct themselves. There's kind of like an ease, like people are thinking about work all the time. And that was new for me. And that was a moment that I kind of had to see over and over again that, yeah, people are just enjoying themselves and not focused on career and not everything is about like climbing the ladder. Because even as a freelancer, once I left the corporate world, I thought I would leave that behind. But then as a freelancer, I felt it even more like I need to build my network on my own. I have to be worthy of a raise next time on my own. You know what I mean? Like I felt like it was like really intense uh, accountability. Like it's all on me now. And that made me even more obsessed with work whenever I was trying to get away from it to travel. I really had to learn that balance. Yeah, definitely. And that's a huge misconception when it comes to being a freelancer, that you literally, I don't know, you have all the time in the world, you won't work that hard, you won't work that much. But especially at the beginning, oftentimes you work way more than a nine to five job. And you mentioned there's something that is really powerful and something that I find as well, especially in Central America and Costa Rica, where you'll be, that sense of community. And that's something that we often forget. And how do you manage to avoid all of that and live a more meaningful life, a more fulfilling one? It's something that drives you towards that path or how do you manage to change from the hustle culture in the States to a more meaningful work-life balance? I finally was exposed to someone who didn't feel that at all. And that I can't take any credit. That's my husband. He has this way of just enjoying the moment. He's like, it's like even talking to his parents, they say from the time he was like a year old, he would just like sit in the sun and smile because it was like, like the feeling of summer. Like I never had that on my own. I would sit in the sun and think, should I be out working? Should I be doing my email? Should I be doing something else? Constantly. I felt like it's all I thought about was the tasks I had to do. I was really bad at enjoying traveling. And I missed out on so many things because I said, no, I'm just going to stay and stay here and get ahead of my inbox for tomorrow. There were so many stupid things. I'm like writing about this actually right now in my book. And I can't even, I'm like sorting through all the stupid stories of me saying, no, I'm going to stay back and catch up on work and passing up on some once in a lifetime opportunity that, you know, people from the hostel invited me out to go snorkeling and saw bioluminescent, you know, things at night and all these like moments that I said, no, nah, I'll just work. And I couldn't get out of it on my own. I, it was only whenever I started traveling and then, you know, got married to my husband. We traveled together for months 
just like as friends and seeing that every day like he's not worried about all he's not thinking about his email inbox and he's just enjoying the moment really and i think it's like a to me that's like a gift he has but it's also been a gift to me because it's always pulling me out like to see someone being in the moment and realizing oh i'm not in the moment and then you try I wish I had better advice for people, but I would say look for it in others. Like look for people who are good at this and watch them experience life if you can. And you'll see that they experience life in a different way from those of us who are kind of like anxious and always thinking about work. I love that you mentioned that. I can relate. I have the same influence from my girlfriend when it comes to this part because I was, and sometimes I'm still in the same situation. I'm in this beautiful place or this amazing experience and my mind flies back to the project that I'm working on and such. And thanks to her, I was able to go past that. And something that also helped, it was a book, The Power of Now. And that book teach you how to live in the present. And from the top of my head, I cannot think about any other resources, but that might be a good starting point. And as Kyla mentioned, to literally try to find someone, a friend, someone that you admire by the way they live their life, their moment. And you can tell when a person it's in the moment and enjoying that thing and paying attention to what you're saying or paying attention to the things happening around them, not looking through you and thinking about their own things. And those signs can be a good indication that might be the person that you want to spend a lot of time around them. And uh, speaking of spending time a day-to-day -day basis, how is currently a day in your life look like? And how do you think it will look like in one month and a day when you start traveling? Well, right now I'm doing actually a good job of balancing life with work. Whenever I'm busy, I can wor work nine. Whenever I'm busy and I'm at home and I'm just at my home base, like I can work seven days a week, nine hours a day and just burrow my way. I feel like I always describe myself as a termite eating my way through a tree. Like I'm so deep in there. I don't see anything else. It's like pitch black and I'm just trying to get to the other side. So that's how I feel whenever I'm too deep in work. But I'm hoping to work even less whenever we are in Costa Rica and we'll be there for a while. We're kind of planning on spending three months in Costa Rica, three months in Panama, and then going to Ecuador and Peru we're not entirely sure how long. We've been to these countries before, so we're just kind of thinking about taking it slower and seeing more. Like we, I saw almost nothing of Costa Rica because it was so much more expensive than the other countries in Latin, in Central America that we were like, oh, let's get out of here. And we just kept going, <laughs> which is a shame because it's so beautiful. So definitely looking to go slow and work a little bit less. But I guess the day in the life, yeah, waking up around seven or eight, working for five or six hours and then going out, walking to the grocery store and taking a walk on the beach. We often stay really close to the water so that we can just get out and feel like immediately immersed in the area, you know, not feel like we have to like get on a bus to go <laughs> see something nice, you know what I mean? And then cooking at home, we cook for almost every meal. We almost never eat out whenever we're traveling. That's just what we like to do. We like to cook and feel like life is normal. Like for me, it's not that feeling in the beginning. Travel was like, I want to feel like everything's different. But travel long-term is really a lifestyle. I'm not trying to feel like I'm on vacation. That would be like trying to trick my brain. I'm not on vacation. I'm just 
living today in Spain. So we like to keep life pretty normal, which is more boring than I think most people think it is. Like we're not hiking and on treks and doing, you know, adventurous things at a cafe every day. We're pretty, we just wake up in our apartment and we make our coffee and get to work like we would anywhere. You know, it's really this quiet routine. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I'm eager to see how your plans unfold and where you arrive and what other places. By the way, we are planning as well to go to Latin America, I think by November, something like that. So we might intersect. Yeah, that would be so fun. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you online if they want to work with you or follow your blog and your content? I am really active on actually all social right now. So LinkedIn, everything is Kayla Eric. So I'm sure the spelling will be in the description. So I won't spell my last name for people. But you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a message that you came from the podcast and I would love to connect with you. I get a lot of random connection requests that I don't accept. So let me know that you came from the podcast. And also I'm documenting the whole process of moving out. I'm doing like a daily video sharing what this process looks like, trying to show the un sexy aspects of transitioning into full-time travel. It's not all like buying a new bathing suit and packing and leaving. So I'm trying to show very realistic, yeah, realistic glimpse behind the curtains. So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok and really wherever you hang out. I'm active across the platforms and my own website, writingfromnowhere.com. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. And yeah, definitely. I'll share the links into the show notes. And to wrap things up, this time, I would like you to create a challenge for our listeners. 24 hours. How to start traveling as a digital nomad? There might be some things complete in less than 24 hours to make a step towards this this lifestyle. Yeah, I would say deflate your lifestyle cost. Look around today at where... You spend money, but if you were saving for travel, you could spend less. If you drink like beer every day, drink water instead. That's going to save you money. That's a deflation of your lifestyle. If you go out to eat, then start cooking at home. That's deflating your lifestyle costs. And look around at your life. There might be a lot more leftover money that you then you think that you can put aside into savings and then you can have that. I would say that's the first step for anyone who wants to be a digital nomad on top of finding work and developing skills online. You should be looking, how can I put money away day to day? And then you, whenever you're on the road, you'll spend way less as well. Become as minimalist as you can with your money. I love that challenge. And a bit of thing that I want to add to this, because there is a huge misconception that Living a digital normal lifestyle can be pretty expensive. It can if you want to live like a king, which can happen in your home country as well. But uh, since I started this lifestyle, I actually spend less than I used to spend in my home country. So just take the challenge that Kala shared and you'll be surprised how much money you can save by just reducing your lifestyle cost because we don't need all the things that you usually buy and move around. No, stop shopping today. Too. Don't <laughs> buy anything. If it's not going to fit in your backpack, don't buy anything else. It's amazing how much money you spend if you don't think about it. You see it as normal. Yeah, true. Thanks so much, Kala, for sharing all these tips and to taking the time in your current busy schedule to jump on a call with me. This was wonderful. And I know that our listener will enjoy as much as I do. Oh, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. <laughs> My pleasure.
have a nice rest of your day and start packing. Yeah. It's almost time. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Gil. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check the show notes where you'll find direct links to the tools and resources mentioned in this episode and much more. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast station to not miss when we drop the next one. We have lots of exciting guests and surprises for you coming up. This is your host, Gabe Marushka with the Nomad Solopreneur Show. Until next week, Pura Vida!